Hi, John Duffy here, co-host of Consume This. Welcome to a new season. This season, we'll be trying something a little bit different, and we'll be focusing really heavily on health-related topics with support from the Ministry of Health. I'll hand you over now to my co-host, Sophie Richardson, who will be hosting the next episode. Sophie's a former customs officer. The relevance of that will become apparent very quickly as you get into this podcast. So, enjoy. Over to you, Soph. It's rush hour, just after 5pm. My producer Tom and I are heading down a busy Manor Street in central Wellington. We're running late, because of course we are. The sun's out, but so is the wind. On either side of us, workers are streaming out of office buildings and jumping onto the buses that line the street. Normally, I'd be swiping my snapper and heading home around this time as well. But not today. Microphones in hand, we walk towards Tiaro Park, Well, actually calling it a park is a bit generous. It's really a small pigeon-filled strip of grass, sandwiched between two busy roads. It's here we've agreed to meet our guest. We haven't met before. All we have to go on is an old photo and a description of his outfit. I've spotted him, Tom. He's sitting alone with his phone. He's wearing jeans, pink t-shirt and a black beanie as described. Hi. I'm Sophie. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm James. James is in his early 20s. Looks relaxed, perched on the edge of the grass, scrolling through his phone. Um, So yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, man. Good. Finished work. Now, what we're about to do feels like it should be illegal. A feeling that's not helped when Tom drags us down a small back alley in an attempt to escape the wind. In front of this garage, I think we do. <laughs> it's just us, a skater practicing kickflips, and a small collection of wheelie bins. It's here that James, that's not his real name by the way, pulls a small bright yellow baggie out of his pocket. It's emblazoned with the classic Acid House smiley. The baggie contains a small transparent capsule filled with a fine brownish beige powder. Sorry, we've got chunks. <laughs> we do indeed. What do we think they are? Uh, MDMA. Yeah, and how sure are we of that? It doesn't hurt just to check. It's from a pretty reliable source, but sometimes you never know. Now you can see why I said at the start what we're about to do feels illegal. Obviously, if we were buying this powder off James, well, that would be a crime. It would also be a crime if we took possession of it, but we're not. It's the words at the end of his sentence that I want you to focus on. It's from a pretty reliable source, but sometimes you never know. What James has could well be MDMA, but it also could be something unexpected, maybe more harmful, or even a whole lot of nothing. This happened recently when in the Wairarapa, 12 people were hospitalised after taking a white powder which was sold as both cocaine and meth, but it turned out to contain fentanyl. Fentanyl is active in much smaller doses than either coke and meth, so it's easy to take too much, especially if you don't know it's there. That's a big issue in the illegal drugs market. James might know his dealer, but he doesn't know his dealer's dealer or any other links in the chain that will likely stretch back to a clandestine lab overseas. It's an issue that Auckland Central MP Chloe Swarbrick has been very vocal about. 
Because the reality is that we have unknown people in unknown places consuming unknown substances to unknown effect. The very least that you can do is inform people about what they're doing and the evidence shows us that people make better decisions when they have that information. So Mr Speaker, to the bill in front of us tonight, as has been outlined by other speakers, uh, it makes permanent the amendment to Section 12 of the Misuse of Drugs Act. The bill that Chloe is talking about is, well, frankly, it's a bit of a mouthful, but I'm going to say it just once so you've got the whole title. It's the Misuse of Drugs, Drug and Substance Checking Service Providers, Regulations. There you go. You're welcome. In brief, it makes it lawful to operate and attend drug testing clinics. They're free to access services which are designed to remove some of those unknowns. You can take a sample, get it tested, and find out for sure what it is. This enables people, like James, to make informed decisions about what they put in their body. It might seem obvious, but as we duck out of our alleyway and back onto the main road, I ask James why this is important to him. Obviously, harm reduction is, yeah, in... uh, my past endeavours, I have had friends that have overdosed from certain substances. They say, oh yeah, we, we've got ecstasy, and it's not ecstasy, and you know, mm. hospital trips, anything like that. So it's always like, I always try to make sure I know what I'm doing before partaking. So if we find out that the MDMA that we think we have is not actually MDMA, what are we going to do with it? Uh. I guess it really depends, like, I'd say as long as it's not something like, like all drugs are threatening to your health, but something that's not going to like, be a concern, then it will probably be alright for me, if I'm being completely honest. Okay, so what would cross over the line into concern? Probably utilone, bath salts, that kind of stuff. And if it crosses over the line into something that James considers too harmful, then what? Just going to have to chuck it. He's not alone in that attitude. Research shows that around 60% of people won't take a substance if the testing comes back as something they weren't expecting. Now, now, now. I know there'll be someone listening to this thinking, no, Sophie, the only safe drug is no drug. And that may be true. But we've been pushing that for a long time and we know people still take drugs. In the three months from April to June this year, police wastewater testing estimated that as a nation we consumed more than 8.5 kilos of MDMA a week. That's around 85,000 doses of just one drug. Plus, we're Consumer NZ, long established fans of independent testing and consumer education. When people have knowledge, they can make better decisions. That's exactly what drug testing enables. Parliament initially voted the bill through as a one-year trial in December 2020. New Zealand Labour. 65 votes in favour. New Zealand National. 33 votes opposed. Green Party Bartero in New Zealand. 10 votes in favour. In November last year, it became permanent. And finally came into force in May. The ayes are 87, the noes are 33. The motion is agreed to. That's not to say that anyone can just set up a clinic. Services need a licence to operate from the Director General of Health, and there are stringent requirements. I won't go into all of them, but they're the kinds of things you'd expect. 
sufficient training, detailed record keeping, rigorous processes for the handling and disposal of samples, that sort of thing. So who's running these services? Well, there are currently four licensed testing providers. Between them, they run regular sessions around the country and pop up at various festivals and events. They are the Drug Foundation, ESR, the Needle Exchange, and the service we're heading to today. So Know Your Stuff was founded about seven or eight years ago now. This is Casey Sperrin. She's Know Your Stuff's Wellington Regional Manager. We want to empower people to make safe choices. So we offer people knowledge and information that they can use to help protect themselves if they choose to take drugs. Know Your Stuff is really the pioneer of independent consumer drug testing in Aotearoa. I was there the uh, very first time that uh, Wendy Ellison set it up, and it was, yeah, kind of underneath a table at the back of a dance floor in a very, well, it started in a very kind of clandestine and a gray legal area. People could bring their drugs to us, and we would uh, tell them what was in it. And over the years, it has grown, and now we also offer clinics in major cities across the country. They also deserve a lot of credit for kickstarting the harm reduction conversation. So harm reduction is the idea that when someone has made a choice, say, made the choice to take drugs, we are just trying to offer them information to make safer choices. If that's maybe you shouldn't take this, uh, maybe you should take less of it, make sure there's someone around to check up on you. So we acknowledge we can't avoid harm that harm is already happening, and that, you know, prohibition also doesn't reduce harm. So we just look for the gaps where we can fit in to help keep people safe. You might also be wondering how they've been offering their services for so long, given the testing legislation only became permanent in May. I was certainly curious. Uh, yes, very in a very legal grey area, and it was the relationships that we had with people such as the police and such as medics and stuff that uh, allowed us to operate because they could see the benefits that we were offering. With the legislation change, a few different things happened. One is that we could handle substances ourselves. So previously we weren't allowed to touch anything, which meant that when a client came by, they would have to yeah, handle the substance themselves. They would have to put it on the machines themselves and wait around for the results to come through so that made testing a substance take a lot longer. We touched on the reason for this earlier. Prior to the legislation change, if James handed over a sample to a Know Your Stuff volunteer, he would technically be committing a crime, supplying a controlled drug. Something that is really designed to criminalise dealers, not people seeking health advice. It meant that if you're at a festival, you have to wait in line and be there to do the testing yourself, which could mean, you know, hours standing in the line in the hot sun when want to be going out doing other fun things. Since the law change, that is no longer the case. Being allowed to handle it means that someone can come drop the substance off, we'll take it away, test it, and then they can come back later and get the results, which is just means that we can put many, many more samples through in the same amount of time. The result of this is that more people can make use of the service, particularly at really busy events like festivals. Back out on the street with James, we finally make it to the Wellington test site. All right, so it should be... Yeah, so it should be level four. It's not very well signposted. I wouldn't know it was in here. The building Know Your Stuff are operating in is unassuming. 
there's a lift out of service. So we have to make the trek up several flights of stairs. When we reach their floor, the doors open onto a light, airy office. It's filled with pot plants and decorated in bright orange accents. There's a team of people in branded t-shirts setting up equipment and walking a handful of other clients through the process. James is greeted by a man who we later discover is a long-time volunteer, Geoffrey. So firstly, we'll just get you to read and agree to this before we can continue. Cool. So I acknowledge and understand that drug checking does not provide a guarantee of safety. All drug use is risky and the only way to be completely safe is to not use drugs. The information I receive is not an endorsement of my drugs or my drug use, but is provided for the purpose of reducing harm. My decisions about drug use are mine alone. Sweet. Is that cool. all right with you? Yep, that's absolutely okay. fine. Okay, what can we do for you today? Um, so, I have a little baby cap of supposedly MDMA, and yep. I'd just like to know if it is MDMA. No problem, happy to check that for you. Have you used this substance before? Ah, uh, no, not yet. Ah, okay. That's excellent that you've come to, to check with us first. Alright, so there's not too many samples waiting to be tested, so you shouldn't be waiting too long. At this point, Jeffrey logs the sample into the system, places it into a queue for testing, and gives James a card with a number on it. The whole process is anonymous. For obvious reasons, Know Your Stuff doesn't collect any data about their clients. That number is the only piece of information that links James to his sample. The clinic's not particularly busy today. Casey would normally expect 15 to 20 people at a midweek session, and a few hundred at a festival. But today, I count only five or six others. Mostly guys in their mid-twenties. Young professionals who look like they might be popping in on their way home from work. I don't ask them. I mean, imagine you were attending a confidential health service and Tom and I shoved a microphone into your face. I doubt it would go down well. We were always aware when starting out in festivals that we were providing a service to a very kind of specific demographic. That was just because it was the low-hanging fruit. We are constantly trying to reach new people, reach new demographics, partner with people. So, yeah, the people that come to check their drugs at a festival are going to be very different sometimes to the people that come to a needle exchange. But having run dozens of clinics myself, there isn't one specific kind of person that comes. It's people of all ages and genders, and you really couldn't predict who walks through that door next. Yeah, and what you also don't know, because, well, I guess it's the entire point of why we're here, is what they're going to bring with them. Far and away, the most common drug that we test is MDMA. Second on that could be ketamine, uh, various benzodiazepines, LSD, other stuff like that. What drugs we test will depend a lot on the demographic, depend on the festival. But yeah, MDMA makes up maybe two-thirds of what we test. We find that anywhere from kind of 70 to 80% of the drugs that we test are what they're presumed to be. 20 to 30% aren't. As far as MDMA goes, we will find that if it isn't MDMA, it's often eudolone, which uh, can be about 30% of the MDMA. Up to 30% being misbranded seems like quite a lot to me. So what happens when someone brings in a sample they believe to be MDMA, but it turns out to be eudolone? So we would sit them down 
and say, sorry to tell you, but it's actually eudolone. Um, they might not know what it is, but we can tell them a little bit about the effects of it. Eudolone will feel like MDMA for about the first hour, and then the kind of euphoria and the good feelings will wear off quite quickly. And what happens is people will redose, kind of chasing that feeling. It can end up that they get very strung out. You know, you can not sleep for days. So even if someone chooses to hold on to the drug, we can also offer them advice for maybe don't take as much of it as you were intending to, or try a little bit, or here's some more information that you can go to look up this when you get home, you know, Google it and educate yourself a little bit. Eutalone is one of the things that James has already told us he will definitely ditch. But is it what he's got? Our sample's worked its way to the front of the queue, so let's go and find out. Cool. Hi, I'm uh, Alex, and I'm running the spectrometer today. So, What on earth is a spectrometer? A spectrometer is a fancy machine that has a laser in it that shines through our substance, possibly drugs, and tells us what it thinks is inside it. And it's sponsored by Chloe Swarbrick. This one has a picture of Chloe on it, because Chloe is obviously amazing and um, was a key part in the uh, drug reform and continues to be. So yes, all of our specs have a name so we don't get them confused. The spectrometer is about the size of a large home office printer. It looks like one too, except it's hundreds of times more expensive. It basically works by quantum mechanics. But despite Tom's attempt to convince us that that's super interesting, we're not going to get into that. In simple terms, it fires lasers at the samples to discover what they are. Fire the laser beams! We go through a lot of isopropyl alcohol and a lot of cotton swabs because we clean everything very thoroughly all the time. Cool, so we have uh, what is presumed to be MDMA. So what I'm going to start by doing is just running a background test, which is basically getting the spec ready before we put things on it. And in a second we should see a nice flat blue line, and if it's not flat it means I haven't cleaned it properly. Cool. Well that's our flat blue line there. If for some reason that's spiky, it probably means I need to give it another clean and try again. So we're pretty happy at that point. So what we're going to do now is put our substance onto the spec. Really helpful that that cap's on tight. No. Okay. The next step is to get some of the powder out of the capsule and ready for testing. Alex only needs a very small sample, but getting that has proven difficult. The capsule's not opening, and if I try and force it too much, it's going to explode everywhere. Excuse me, I'll grab that. Last thing we need is MDMA all over the laptop. Or just vague beige powder. (laughs) Yes, or who knows what for our laptop. Hopefully we'll know soon. The cap should, in theory, just slide open. But it's been sitting squished together in James's wallet all day, so it's stuck. Eventually, Alex resorts to cutting it open with some scissors. Right, I think we might finally have got some drugs. So you'll see there's a little square diamond on the spec, and that's what we're going to cover. So first we've got to make sure we've crushed it up, because if we get something that's too hard on it, we're not going to get as good a reading, and we might damage something. So we're going to make sure it's nice and smooth. So if you get a pill, you have to like spend time smooshing it up? Yeah, well, pills are slightly different in mm. that if we ever get something in a bag, it's easier to get mm. what's our best guess at a representative sample because everything's kind of mixed up. Right. The thing with a pill is if you take a scraping from the outside, it might be quite different than what's in the inside. So uh, with a pill, we normally try and cut it in half yeah. or at least get a good way into it and then try and take a sample from inside. Mm. So... 
One of the things we've got to bear in mind with dry checking is we're taking a small part of a larger sample and that may or may not be representative of the full sample. Mm. And so for things, uh, some things that are dangerous but are present in tiny quantities, that makes it less likely that we'll basically get the right bit in our sample. So fentanyl is a classic example. It's mm. uh, got very small active doses. So we might see it, but equally the part of the drug that we have tested, we might not see it in. So that is, yeah, one of the limitations we have for the spec. Yeah. Cool. So we've got that covered, and now we will run our test. After about 30 seconds, the spectrometer spits out a graph of the substance's infrared absorption pattern. Basically, the lasers have fired, and it spits out a wibbly line. This gets automatically compared to the Tic Tac spectroscopy library. That's basically a huge library of all the graphs for different controlled substances. When it finds a match, it spits out the result. So in this case, it's a really good quality hit. What Alex means here is that it's a strong match with one of the samples contained in the Tic Tac library. But which one? We'll find out soon. Yeah, so we've entered that into our system, and then that'll sync across to our harm reduction volunteers, so they'll know all the information, and that's testing done. Now the result is logged into the system, which means that Jeff, he's the volunteer from before, can pick it up on his laptop in the harm reduction area and prepare for his conversation with James. We'll head over there in a sec to find out if our substance really is MDMA. But first, I'm curious. Do these harm reduction conversations actually work? What evidence do they have to show that the service is keeping people safer? We do have the evidence that we are helping people make better decisions. We did a survey in 2021 looking at the behaviours of people that used our service. We find that people that come to get their drugs checked are less likely to mix substances, which is a big source of harm. They're more likely to test again in the future, and they're more likely to take less of the substance as well. If you're interested in digging further into their data, it's all published on the Know Your Stuff website. A stat that jumped out to me is that three in four people reported having an experience where a drug they took is not what they thought it was, and almost half reported decreasing their dosage after attending a clinic. That's pretty impactful stuff. Offering people information often leads to behaviour change, not all the time, but we do see that in our work. It could even be something as simple as a lot of the pressed pills that we get through that are MDMA. You know, we can test them and say, okay, they are MDMA, but there actually might be three doses worth in here. So take a third of it. And when they do find those concerningly strong pills or anything else of serious concern, there is a network set up to get that information out there. So we keep a pill library on our website where we will publish photographs of things that we've taken along with information about them. You know, what was in it? how much was in it, that kind of stuff. So people can, you know, log on at home and check that out for themselves. We publish alerts when we find dangerous substances, and we do work with High Alert as well, which is the early warning system for dangerous substances found in New Zealand. And we have this, yeah, ecosystem of the Drug Foundation and High Alert and a few others all working together to get the information out there when we do find really dangerous things. This means that if James's sample comes back as something unexpectedly dangerous, or someone else brings in one of those super strong pills that Casey just mentioned, they can get the word out fast. If you have something that you're not sure about, double-checking the pill library on Know Your Stuff and the High Alerts website is a good starting point. 
but it's not really a substitute for getting your own specific sample tested. We always tell people not to trust the person that's selling you the drugs when they say that it's been checked or that it's safe, etc. Just come do it for yourself, you know, and see it with your own eyes. We don't offer the services to dealers. We don't let people take photos of results or anything like that. And we certainly have seen with some dealers online saying, hey, this is being checked by Know Your Stuff or, you know, putting up like fake kind of doctored photos that has a fake uh, certificate or a tick mark or something like that. And so we're always telling people, don't believe what you see online. We don't provide assurances like that. So if you see it, it's probably fake. Just come and check it for yourself because this is an opaque market. You know, this offers zero protection for consumers. We're just trying to be one little point of clarity in a giant opaque situation uh, where it's all based on trust, basically. And with that, it's time for James to get his own personal point of clarity. His sample has been through Chloe the spectrometer. Alex knows what it is, and so does Jeffrey. Now it's time for us to find out. If you're ready, come on through and I'll uh, discuss your uh, substance. The room we enter is basically just your standard office meeting room. A big whiteboard, a coffee table, with some pamphlets and a few seats. So, presumed drug was MDMA. Uh, the spectrometer has gone through, and it's coming up pretty pretty high for MDMA. So we'll also check in these scenarios if if it's coming up with anything else. So perhaps we'd look into to seeing if there was any binders or fillers, or if someone's maybe mixed in more than one substance to try and trick us or anything yeah. like that. So we haven't really been able to detect anything else other than MDMA in there. Um, so substance is, is as presumed, and we don't notice any uh, binders or fillers. So there it is. The mysterious brown powder that James showed us just a couple of hours ago down that windy side street is, as he was hoping, MDMA. And that's exactly the point of testing. It's taken the hypothesis, I believe this is MDMA because my dealer told me it is, tested it, and proved it. Now that you know what the substance is, do you intend to take it? I most likely will take it. I feel a lot more comfortable and have a lot more peace of mind knowing that it is what it says, what I was told it was. Mm. And also may I ask the consumption method? Probably just dropping it. Dropping it? Oh, no problem. Dropping it means taking it orally, like you would a paracetamol. It's one of the most common ways of taking MDMA, but it's important for Jeffrey to check because different ways of ingesting it might require different harm reduction advice. Would you like some information? We have plenty of pamphlets and whatnot to go through. Um, what or, information have you got? Um, I'll get you one of these. The main one I'd, I'd, I'd say for, and this is a drug interaction chart, but I highly recommend grabbing if you, if you don't have one already. Um, main thing with MDMA, I would say, is just um, not to mix it with other substances. Obviously, mixing anything with alcohol is typically bad. That's the most common sort of mixture you're, yeah. you're going to find. Um, and if you're on any other medications like the MAIs or SSRIs, yeah, be cautioned there. It's not, not recommended to mix, mix basically anything with anything. Jeffrey and James go through some other harm reduction advice and tips of dosage that I'm not going to include here. Because honestly, I'm not the right person to be giving out that advice. And some of it's very specific to James's situation. If you would like to know more, particularly about which substances don't mix well together, then I'd recommend checking an impartial, reliable source. 
A good starting point would be the Know Your Stuff and Drug Foundation websites. We'll put some links to those in the show notes. Yeah, no, if there's no other questions, we'd probably leave it there. Yeah, I'm pretty happy. Excellent. But as Jeff slides out of the room, I do have another question for James. You know, given that we've got some advice about, um, you know, what not to take with MDMA, does that inform your decision making at all about how you take it? Yeah, yeah. Most likely just being a lot more wary when it comes to alcohol and MDMA. So like how much you're drinking. Yeah, absolutely. What would you tell your your friends about your experience today? I'd definitely encourage them to come here more. Mm-hmm. Just it's straight to the point. The facts are there. There's no like preaching about, oh, you shouldn't be doing drugs or, you know, either side. It's just very straight to the point of here are the facts. Use with your own discretion kind of. As you might have gathered from some of my questions throughout this episode, I'm a bit of a square when it comes to drug taking. I think the interesting thing for me is that James hasn't increased his drug taking since being able to get his stuff tested. And the data about drug use seems to suggest this is true for a lot of people. Basically, all the legalisation of drug testing has done, it seems, is to make it safer for people who do take drugs. If I have to leave you with just one message at the end of this episode, it would be to go back to the disclaimer James read out near the start. Drugs can be harmful, and as an organisation, we're obviously not promoting or endorsing the use of illegal drugs. But if there's one thing we do like to promote at Consumer, it's scientific testing and making informed decisions. At least some drug harm comes from the uncertainty of not knowing for sure what the pills, or the mysterious brown powder, actually is. Thanks to the new Misuse of Drugs, Drug and Substance Checking Service Providers Regulations, nailed it, that no longer needs to be an issue. If you are planning on taking drugs, I would encourage you to attend a drug checking clinic near you. It's legal, easy to find, anonymous, and might just give you information that prevents a real bad trip. Or worse. If you are concerned about your own drug taking, or about a loved one, you can contact the Alcohol Drug Helpline on 0800 787 797, or text 8681 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are free and confidential. You'll speak with a trained counsellor who will be able to provide you with information, insight and support. You can find links to that and other useful information, including the schedule of upcoming testing clinics, in the show notes. This episode was made possible with generous support from the Ministry of Health. It was produced by Tom Rees-Smith and presented by myself, award-winning podcaster Sophie Richardson. I'm Abby Darman and I work in the campaigns team at Consumer New Zealand. I want to tell you about some of the exciting work we're doing here at Consumer New Zealand. Right now, literally, as we speak, we're working really hard to keep big businesses and our lawmakers in check. So we're currently engaged in taking on unfair retirement village contracts, misleading supermarket pricing and dodgy green claims. To keep up this good work, we need to raise $50,000 before the 24th of September. So please, if you can, 
Help us to help others by heading to consumer.org.nz forward slash donate. Thanks so much.